Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. Can it be that simple? Talent. Develop a robust recruiting, vetting, and training process to help capable people and then help them to become who and what they want to be. Sales. Have a logical go-to-market strategy. Build the sales and marketing structure and plan around it and then attack and execute the plan with fanatical consistency. Scale. Know where you're going, why you're going. Share with others why they would want to join you. Be clear on who's allowed to join you and what they'll need to do to stay on board. Anticipate roadblocks. Avoid them before you get stuck. And then when you do hit one, and you will, stay calm, problem solve, and find resources to get unstuck. Sounds simple, right? Simple to understand, but not easy to do. Join us as we focus on the tips and tricks and hacks for running a profitable, hyper-growth business. We'll share real-world horror stories and celebrate the victory sagas that will inspire you. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Everyone, it's Brian Whittington with the Talent Sales and Scale Show, and today um, I always typically say this, but this is—I'm really excited for today. We have Dan Dupee, and here's the reason why I'm excited. Now, my fear is this: all of you are going to have this confirmation bias whenever I lay out why I have Dan on the show. So, Dan comes to us from a nonprofit uh, out of his family business into a nonprofit. So you're going to sit here and think, why do I want to listen to this nonprofit? Well, I don't know. Imagine this. Your whole entire team is structured by a bunch of people that are paid at nonprofit rates, which are notoriously less than for-profit rates. Not only that, but then they have to go out and raise their own funds to help pay for their salary. So imagine if you asked your employees to go out and fundraise for part of their salary. So if that's what you had to do, and by the way, this nonprofit ran a more effective, accountable, incredible organization than, than almost any if not any, for-profit company that I've seen. Uh, that's why I was really excited to have Dan on the show today. So Dan Dupee, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. So today we're going to be talking about how Dan leveraged this strength-based leadership and the power of presence to really drive this. So I, I guess the first question to ask you here, Dan, is your nonprofit, not only, worse yet, some people might say you're not only a nonprofit, but out of a Christian organization. So why in the world should anyone listen to you about leadership and, and, and how to run a world-class hyper-growth organization? Yeah, Brian, I mean, I think, you know, I cut my teeth in business in, uh, in, for a number of years in, in a staffing business. And, um, you know, having made the move from a number of years doing that into nonprofit, uh, in this case, uh, faith-based nonprofit. Um, I am much more impressed by the similarities between the two worlds than the differences. Uh, I really, uh, there, are, there are differences, but it seems to me that when those differences are what, uh, what gets focused on, um, it, it, 
you don't get the same result. Organizations, they all have a mission. They all have people. They all have processes. And, you know, you, in a way, there's no such thing as a nonprofit. I mean, if you can't achieve mission and financial stability in the entity that you're trying to grow, you're not going to be around. So profit, nonprofit, or otherwise, uh, you, you've you've got the same building blocks that are that are part of the of the enterprise. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. So the same building blocks, and you know, my fear is okay. Here we go again. Vision, mission, purpose. How many times do we need to hear this, right? So talk to me through that. I mean. Uh, how did you leverage that? What, let, let's talk first about those similarities. What are those exact similarities that, that you found between the for-profit whenever you're running that business there um, in Cincinnati, right? Yeah. All yeah. right, so you're running the business over in Cincinnati and then you come to a, a nonprofit. So talk to me about the similarities. Yeah, I think the, the, the similarities, uh, look, in a for-profit enterprise, um, you need a, you and the people who work for you still need a reason to get up every day. And, and, and so is, yeah, the, you're right, mission, vision. And the reason, the reason I go back to these things is, you know, they get a lot of lip service, but I haven't seen it done well all that often, which is how compelling is our purpose for being in this organization and how clear is it? Do, have we made explicit why it is that we exist as an, as an organization. What, what are we here to do? So, um, you know, that right out of the chute uh, is, you know, that's a pretty critical, uh, pretty critical thing. And then, you know, the talent acquisition piece, which I know we'll talk more about, but, um, you know, have we, have we uh, identified what it is we're looking for if we got a strategy to go get people, and then what are we doing with them when they're here? Because inherent in talent, talent acquisition is talent development and, and talent retention. You know, those two things are part of it as well. All right, that was a lovely mouthful. So yeah, so how do we identify, what's our strategy to, to get them? How do we uh, develop them? And then how do we, because I didn't even think about going that way, Dan. So how do we develop them and then retain them? So let's, let's talk through that. Um, the, the first one you talked about is why are you getting up in the morning? Yeah. So let's tie that into the talent side. How, how were you, you know, what's, how did you identify the people that would come alongside what you were trying to do that you knew that that would get them up in the morning. Talk to me a little bit about that, please. Yeah. And, and I think that, and I, it, you know, obviously I skipped over some things there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think the, the um, uh, identifying the people that are going to want to be part of this, uh, getting, they will respond to the clarity of the mission um, the clarity of the values. Do we know what we're about? I mean, good people, Brian, always, always have options. I mean, that's got to be at the core of talent acquisition. If I am talking to the people I want to talk to, I have to assume that there's a range of things that they could be doing. I don't want to be in the business of talking to somebody who has no other option but me. That's, that's 
really not where you want to live. Well, so let's, let's hit that one a little bit. So good people have options. And, you know, who here, what listener is going, you know what? I really want some B and C players. They're going to be loyal and stick around even whenever I don't want them to, right? That's, like, it says no one. So it's 100% accurate that good people always have options. Now, let's really hit this. All right, so these good people, they have options, which means they likely can get more money than coming to a nonprofit. Right. So how did you win them over based upon what you were doing? Yeah, I, I think that the, um, as is often the case, you know, there's a, a bit of a courting process. Uh, what, what I counted on was the culture of, of the CCO to do some of its own talking. So the, and by that, I mean, you know, good people, one of the things they're looking at is uh, a place where, you know, they've got a mission that they care about. And that can, again, that can be every bit as much of a for-profit mission as a nonprofit. Uh, you got a mission you care about, then the organization is fundamentally healthy. Uh, you know, I don't, <laughs> uh, most of us do not get up in the morning to go to a place of work that has, that's toxic. It doesn't matter what the rewards are. And if I've seen one thing that we who are running a for-profit business, one of the things we fall into is the belief that compensation will cure all ills. Well, you know, those good people are looking for a healthy place to hang their hat. They don't want to be part of drama. They don't want to be, they, they want a place that you scratch it and you, what you smell is good. And then they, you know, they want a place where somebody's trying to, particularly younger people, somebody's paying attention to their development. Like, am I going to grow in this place? I think your A players are always thinking about how they can get better. So an environment, an environment that's healthy, that seems to be about developing people is really attractive to the best candidates. So good people are always looking to get better, you said. Um, yeah. So how do you how do you uncover that whenever you're looking for people? Because you said, and I really like what you said, because talent acquisition, if you look at talent, and that's why it's talent, sales, and scales. It's not talent acquisition. It's not recruiting. It's really talent. And yeah. I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but my belief is that your talent, your team, that's your only, that is your only non-duplicatable competitive advantage because I can rip everything else off. So you talked about how do we identify and what's our strategy? And I think a talent strategy really has to align with a business strategy. So let's talk through that. I mean, did you do that intentionally? Did you accidentally align talent with business strategy? Talk to me about a bit about that, please. Yeah, that, that, uh, there, there certainly is some accidental nature to it, although, you know, <laughs> which is what's, that's the story of, of, of leading anything, right. uh, the stuff you've learned along the way, uh, mainly by screwing it up. But I, I think the, um, uh, you know, that it becomes apparent, uh, uh over time that that uh, the strategy has to you know there's got to be a there there so if we've got a really great 
proposition by which really great selling proposition. And you still have to sell candidates. I mean, my organization went through uh, uh, a period where we had the identifiably best place to work in the country among peer organizations. There's a, a, a um, survey, the best Christian workplaces survey that confirmed that. And yet the first year we won the award, we also had pretty miserable recruiting numbers. So the, the, it's not as if, hey, we build this great thing and they'll come. You still have to go get people. But the, but the, the, the notion that you want to tie it to business strategy, that there ought to be a through line so that, first of all, there's something, there's a compelling reason for people to come because they're looking at your organization going, this is, what, this is a well-run place. This is a healthy place. This place will develop me. But then when they get there, the thing they ought to experience ought to confirm what they saw when they were a candidate. You know, what you don't want to have happen is people, well, wow, sure, it looked like one thing when I was a candidate, and man, it looks like an entirely different thing when I got here. It's funny that you bring that up, Dan. My, one of my first leading questions whenever, I, whenever I'm doing interviews is I say this, listen, don't give me the interview answer. And, yeah. and I promise you that I'm not going to give you my campaigning speech because the last thing that I want to do is do campaign pitches and promises. You elect me, come on board, and you find out the, the person who I really am. So let's cut through all the, all the, the, you know, the, the falseness and let's be transparent because I'm going to share with you our goods, the bads, the ugly. And if you still are crazy enough to come on board, uh, we'll get along well. So, you know, that transparency and almost that, and um, Dan and I, we, we met each other whenever we were doing some Sandler training with our, with our uh, mutual friend, uh, Johnny Rosso. And uh, episode four, check out Johnny Rosso. And, um, you know, that negative sell, even on the, on the job recruitment is a, is a really good piece. So now you said that you have to sell your company and, and develop that, develop that. So Let's talk a little bit about that. So how are you going about selling your company? How do you do that? Yeah, the well, and I think you've touched on something important, which is, uh, you know, you do have to be, <laughs> you can't do it dishonestly, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, again, you're, you know, think of the, 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 best person that you want to get. And, and by the way, you should know what that target looks like. You should have, uh, there's a whole other exercise and perhaps a whole other conversation, but you should have a set of critical requirements that describe the job, not fewer than six, not more than nine. This is not a job description. This is the stuff underneath the job. So this would be the job functions, if you will? Yeah. These are the, and actually they even go beyond job functions into the characteristics of the person that can perform the job functions. Okay. So uh, let's, let, if, if I can unpack that just a little bit to make sure I understand it. So if you look at job function, whatever that is, yeah. then six to nine key roles within that job function that are going to be the, the, is it the characteristics or is it the, the skills, the competency? Can you, can you unpack that a bit more, please? I've done it using characteristics. Okay. Um, and and the, uh, this is built on the work of a fellow named Barry Shamus, who, uh, who is in the school of, of interviewing called behavioral interviewing, uh, which is, um, I think, something you help people learn how to do. 
but the the critical requirements really are are characteristics. So let's give an example. Um, you you really do the thorough work on what you're looking for and pretty much universally you need folks who can play well with others who can make a contribution to a team and accept a contribution from other teammates so that you get somewhere together and and so that you know the you could actually, if you wanted to, call this characteristic team player. Although, gosh, we know in every interview we've ever done, everybody's always a team player. <laughs> so you probably want to use some different language like, you know, a willing collaborator or something that's a little more descriptive. And then a one sentence description of what does that actually look like? Not, and it could be stated something has good ideas, but not so married to his own ideas that he can't learn from other people or willing to either lead or follow in a team context, whatever it is about what you've got culturally and whatever it is about that particular position. That's like, if a person has this quality, they can go somewhere in this, but if they don't have this quality, this could be a dumpster fire. So, so that's let's, Let's continue on that specific example. Okay, so we have that. Um, so we're interviewing for that. Right. That team player that uh, can play along, play well with others, collaboration kind of thing. So staying on that specific example, what are some key things that I'm going to be listening for in their answer? What am I looking for? Yeah, very good. And, and, and by the way, these critical requirements become the backbone of the interview. So these are the things one of the reasons you develop them is this is what you're querying for in the interview process. So what you, how that would translate in that example, how that would translate in an interview is once you've taken the resume and sort of sketched it back out chronologically, and you do it chronologically so that if a person has changed and grown, you can notice that. So you, you, and you, and you pick a couple landing places and you ask the question, tell me about a time at the ABC company when you worked with other people who were part of ABC to achieve a particular result. And, you, and, and typically in this case, you have to ask this question three times because people are not used to giving examples. They're used to saying things like, I think being a team player is really important. I'm a great team player. I mean, you know, it's like, I have yet to meet somebody who goes, you know, I pretty much blow up every team I'm part of. I, I really don't like people very much. So, you know, so you're, you, you want to get the example and you're going to have to be persistent to get it. But that's how you take the characteristic and turn it into uh, a series of, you know, beginning with that question and then follow-up questions. How did that work? What did you do? What did other people do? Tell me about a time when there was tension in your team what, or something that came up that really made the going hard. What did you do then? And so those are, that, that's, that's, that's how you'd want to go at it. Okay, so at the risk of putting you on the spot, sorry for this, can you give me some real life examples of really good answers that would perk your ear up in real life examples of when you go, this person is completely full of malarkey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if I can't ever get, if I, in spite of all my best efforts, 
can never actually get a concrete example. That is the malarkey alarm for me. If I have, yes. if I can't finish an interview with any stories a person's telling me, and it could be for a variety of reasons, but I'm just not going to feel comfortable probably going farther with that unless somebody has some other compelling reason for me to keep the process going. But the answer that, that you'd be, you know, a kind of answer that, that, that I'd love to hear is to have somebody tell the story. And, and I'd like to hear in the story that, you know, the car hit the curb a few times here. Uh, you know, there, this was not, um, this was not a completely smooth experience because working in a team typically isn't, you know, I may have to prompt them to talk about disagreements or tension points, but when they're willing to do that, and I want to hear, you know, I want to hear, you know, what they did, what, I want to hear them express some appreciation for the contribution of other people. Because if you're telling a team story and the only person you can talk about in the story is yourself, then, you, you know, I'm, 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 I'm wondering. It doesn't conclusively prove that you're not about being a team person or a collaborator, but I need more from you that expresses appreciation for what other people did contribution. Because I think probably what I'm going to get on the job is what I got in the interview which is, do you, can you make room for the contribution of other people? Can you lead or follow, encourage, can you help be a person who makes this team really hum? So. Yeah, so out of that, and this is, I love this. So what you just pointed out there is I can now dig down and really see are they are the true characteristics that I'm looking for within my culture, within this person? Because yeah. if I ask anybody, hey, are, are you a hard worker? Oh, yeah, you betcha, right? <laughs> but that that's going to come out in the examples. And by you asking questions, you can dig down deeper to really vet, you know, hey, tell me a little bit about, you know, when when there was that conflict, how did you deal with it? right yeah. and then really dig down a little bit more deeply so you're you're going to find out a couple of things one if they don't have examples and stories they're making it up and they're good interviewers and that's a real challenge if you're hiring good people really good interviewers are typically really good people person or really good at dealing with people and those are the ones that get through so you think that you have arnold schwarzenegger on friday and then woody allen comes showing up monday you're like what the right so it's you know it's it's insane so if you ask those questions and dig down, look for the specific examples and then have specific cultural questions that you might be looking for throughout the interview. So whenever you're asking these things, you go, yep, that aligns with our culture. Nope, that wouldn't align with our culture because each one of your cultures, it, it, it's not a good culture or bad culture, it's just yours. And is that the thing that people want to come into um, and, and be a part of? Because a culture that I have you know, some people hate it and I'm okay with that. Other people long for what we're trying to build here. So it's, it's not right or wrong. It just is. And how do you make sure that you get others within that culture where it's not like you said a little bit earlier, lip service? Is, is that rambling make sense? Or is that kind of aligning with what you're saying there? Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, the example I picked, the collaborator, I mean, that, that itself may not be appropriate to your what you're trying to do 
I mean, it may be. There's what what you want to stay away from in all of these situations is the you know the mom and apple pie sort of thing. It's the you know it's the tripwire for when we create core values for organizations. You know, saying things like high ethics exceed customer expectations. Well, you know, who's going to argue with that? I mean, that's, right. that's, that's so, what you mean. Yeah, that's right, right. So you don't want to, you don't want to, same thing for the critical requirements. You want them to actually reflect the culture that you have. And maybe the culture you have has got a hard edge to it, you know, and, and, and maybe a characteristic will be ha the ability uh, to have thick skin or handle handle blunt feedback. Maybe that's part of your organizational culture. Well, then that belongs in the critical requirements if it's something that with, you know, if it's something that a person has to have to succeed. Right. And the other thing that, as you're explaining that, um, that example, Dan, I was, I was thinking, boy, authenticity, really what you're looking for is that authenticity whenever you're asking for those examples and tell me about where you ran into the, the guardrail a couple of times tell me where it didn't work out quite the way that you learned so you're looking for that authenticity yeah. but then also learning right yeah. how did i learn out of this um what did i what did i do um to grow because if if growing is a key attribute of what you're looking for from your team which is what you said a players want to grow that's likely something that you would want to put in there. So the, the beauty about what Dan just laid out and that behavioral interviewing is the fact that you can get all of these things from a, a cultural alignment, authenticity, uh, specificity in what they've done, how they've grown, do they want to grow? All of that comes out from just a couple of questions. And that's where I believe most people mess that up or I don't know, I might be wrong on that. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, there, there's, a lot of wrong turns that we can take, but I think you, I think that what you just said is is uh, I think it's true, and because there, you, just, you know, to do to to grow uh, in the way that your clients want to grow, um, you know, part of it is part of it is the practices that you're going to do that are going to be really helpful and really additive, but part of it is, you, you know, don't do stupid stuff if you can help it. And, and I mean, really, in which we all, you know what, there's no way to avoid it. We're human, we're gonna, we're gonna make some. In I some sell at it, by the way. Yeah, yeah, well, right. That, that we're, we're, we're gonna, we will certainly have our share of, of wrong roads that we go down. But we do, you don't wanna, you know, the whole talent acquisition and talent development, you just don't wanna live, you wanna live in the real world, the one we're in, not in the one that you'd like us to be in or the candidate would like to be in. You yeah, gotta get yeah. down to, to, to reality here. All right, so I'd love to stay on the strategy side and keep building this out, but I'm gonna pivot based, based upon what you just said. That's a, a good transition over to, okay, so we, we've, we've, we've identified who we had. Oh, one quick question. All right, so you have these, these six to nine characteristics. Do you put any individual scorecard to those objective measurements or did you not go down that low or that down to that level on those cards? Uh, on the, on the characteristics. Characteristics. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think what in the, in the, in the interviewing process, you're, you're just doing a neutral plus minus on, okay. uh, on each characteristic. So you're, and you know, the, the, the at least the, the, 
primary school of thought on this uh, from the folks who, who I've been around who've practiced it is if you've got seven characteristics and you've got a negative on one of them from anybody who's part of the screening process, then you don't, you don't move. Okay. Now that's, you know, <laughs> that's if you, if you've got six things you love and one thing you don't, you're going to have a decision to make, uh, but at least you've got the data in front of you. Yeah. And, and one thing off of this too, uh, as a tactical, um, you know, tip for you is you can lay out those interview questions in advance and put in what is a good answer that we should be looking for and what are some bad answers that we should be looking for and have that give that um, document to the whole entire um, hiring team. That way we, we can drive out some subjectivity because we're all going to bring our own um, biases to this. I right. mean, it's just, you can't help it. So by having those already pre-printed, pre-laid out, what's a good answer? What's a bad answer? That's, that's a good tactical tip to, to be able to do that a little bit more deeply. Okay, so now we have them on board. So now let's talk about strength-based leadership. Yeah. Right? First off, what is it? And then yeah. how do we tie, and the second question is after what is it, how do we tie that into the day-to-day -day operation? I mean, it, it, is it fuzzy? Is it blah, blah, blah? So what is it first off? Yeah, strength-based leadership is simply orienting the, the, orienting the activities of the organization all, and all of its members towards the things that you do best. Orienting the organization and all of its members towards the things you do best. So the presupposition here is that there is something that your organization has that it can contribute in a way nobody else can. And then to drive it down to the work of each individual, uh, that they have particular things they bring to the enterprise that, that you want more of, that they, if they are operating in the place where they are most talented and most, most capable, you're going to go a lot farther than if you do, uh, than if you operate in a perpetual state of trying to close the gaps that, that people have when they do stuff they're not good at doing. I mean, that's sort of a nutshell. Yeah, a little bit of background on it, just to, in case, you know, people are wondering where, where, where does this come from? Is, is there substance to it? Or is it just a way of, you know, we're back to sort of, are we just being nonprofit nice? Yeah, another flavor of the day. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, so the, the roots of this, I would take it back to a couple people. One would be Peter Drucker. You know, Drucker is the He's the man when it comes to management training. I mean, he's a giant on the landscape in the la in the, you know, over the last hundred years, he's the most important figure in we had to dial that back, didn't we? You're gonna say last 50. Oh my gosh, it's 2020. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> you know, he's uh, but he's still, you know, people still orient a lot of their work in management training around Drucker and leadership training. Drucker's uh one of Drucker's uh, sort of uh, uh, ideological uh, sons or grandsons is uh, Marcus Buckingham, who you'll frequently see in Harvard Business Review. Um, at the same time, there was a fellow named Don Clifton, uh, who uh, was a PhD, who got interested in talent and how talent uh, works itself out in the success, relative success of people. He started 
working with doctors, got more interested in the project. That became StrengthsFinder, the StrengthsFinder tool, the survey that Gallup has uh, owned for years and years and years. Um, and the, the, the entire StrengthsFinder's enterprise and what Clifton believed that he found to be true is that uh, first of all, there's no such thing as well-rounded leaders. There's only well-rounded teams that you will read almost verbatim in that in the book you just put in front of us. Nobody's good at everything, but if you can find out what people are good at and get them to do more of what they're good at, you're going to cover a lot more ground than if you're perpetually focused on trying to fix what they're not capable of doing. Um, so Clifton kind of worked out of that uh, worked out of that framework. That's where the StrengthsFinder survey comes from. That's what strengths-based leadership is based on. Okay, so I can hear people right now. Well, wait a second. All right, great. So now I'm gonna have everybody coming up to me and saying, hey, Dan, hey, boss. You know, the reason I can't do this is it's yeah. just not my strengths. You can't hold me accountable. I just, it's not my strength. So what do you do there? How can I be strength-based leadership have a well-rounded team without a whole bunch of specialists because now I think headcount has to go through the roof. Yeah. What's that even look like? Yeah, the the you know the first uh, and, and I do some work uh, uh, with my wife uh, who has a master's um, in counseling and and I she's she's great at this point because she's right out of the chute we she just puts a spear through that like this is never an excuse for not doing your job it just you you can't you can't use strengths or if it's myers briggs or if it's disc whatever the thing is you may not use that as a reason to not do the job that's in front of you so you just so how that. do you balance that though right because yeah. you just said yeah hey this isn't my strength but you know, th that's just my personality. I'm not detail oriented. All right, got it. So how do you balance that is a tension there? Yeah, I think that, well, and that's why somebody wrote a book on it from a leadership perspective, you know, it becomes the work of the leader to help, uh, uh, to help people figure that out. So you balance it. I mean, the first thing you got to know is what you've actually got. Um, that's, you know, that's why I've, gotten interested in doing the strengths work with with individuals and with teams so whenever you say know what you got meaning you do some type of assessment to find out their strengths is that what you mean yeah okay yeah. got you it wanna, you wanna, and, and and because i think the the contention of the strengths people is pretty accurate that an awful lot of us don't actually know what our best contribution is we okay. don't understand our own uh, capabilities, our own talents, the expertise, because, you know, the, here's the, 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 the reason why, Brian, um, things that you're really good at doing that are sort of baked into who you are as a human being that are, that are just innate to you are by definition, things you, you don't see. You almost take it for granted. I've, I've found that people just take it for granted and they go, what, doesn't everyone have that? And they don't realize their superpower. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, Brian, that line, doesn't everybody do this? Doesn't everybody have this? If we had a nickel for every time somebody says that, you know, yeah. the, the sort of the discovery process, well, of course, what else would you do? And, you, <laughs> and sometimes you go, well, let me tell you, there's about a hundred other things you could do. 
than what you're doing. What you're doing is a wonderful expression of, you know, a talent that you have. And not everybody does this. So let me ask this question. So if I make this super simplistic, dumb it down for somebody like me to understand. Yeah. And I go, okay, so if I'm playing to my strengths, yeah, that's really the area in which uh, I think Marcus Buckingham, uh, might be some others, they call it the flow, right? Where I, I, can, I can skip breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I'm just going because I'm in my groove. I'm just in my flow. If I can spend more of my time now, this is still humanity, right? Um, so <laughs> we can't always be in the flow. We have to do stuff that we don't like that we're not str- is not strong at. But if I can spend more of my time in flow, that allows me to be more effective, get things done more quickly, have more energy, a- a- and really excel. Is that an accurate understanding of what we've been, what that strength-based Marcus Buckingham is really talking about? Yes. Okay. That's the, the, that that's that's a that concretizes it. That that flow because I think most people, when you describe it the way you've described it, Brian, most of us can identify, uh, you know, a point where we've where we're in that or we've seen teams that are in that or you get a whole organization that gets in that state you know that's the point at which i you i look and see something i go well, i would not want to compete with them because <laughs> they're, they're they you when, when a whole organization's getting the flow they actually redefine the business you know they're not in you know that when we were in the temporary help business there were periods where i thought to myself you know we're not really in the temporary help business anymore we're, we've and, and oh, by the way, I really wouldn't want to compete with us because we, we're, we're cranking, you know. That's what you get from that, exactly. So uh, let's go down this tangent because I think this is important and I'm trying to understand this a little better myself. Yeah. So this really goes why talent was first. Talent yeah. is that foundation because if you can hire right, get the A players functioning to their strengths, minimizing their, the times that they're out of flow, being realistic as a leader that when they're doing things that they're not, is not in their strength, that they're likely going to need some time to decompress, re-energize, you know, get back, to get back up to energy, to get back into flow state. If we have a whole entire team functioning like that, where we tie the, you know, Simon Sinek's why or tying talent, passion, and purpose all together. That is really the bedrock. It doesn't matter the industry or what you're selling, what you're doing, profit, nonprofit. If you're able to figure that thing out, is that really what allows us that hyper growth, that 50, 100% year over year growth in a sustained manner because everybody's looking to develop, everybody's in their sweet spot as much as possible? I mean, is that kind of the secret sauce? Well, to me, it would be, and, and you know, the, 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 now, uh, you have to, anybody you bring on a podcast, speaking of uh, disarming honesty, I've, <laughs> I've been more of a builder than a hyper growth leader. So, you know, I want, I want people that want to be in that 50% and above category to understand I've certainly grown the things that I've helped lead. Uh, uh, maybe not at that rate. So i and I think a little bit more like a builder, but if you're going to catch fire, which I think you need to do to pull off what you're talking about, 
and you're going to develop people because it doesn't matter if you're a 15 year builder person or you're a two year hypergrowth person, the need for people to grow and to move into, you know, higher levels of, of proficiency and, and even to move from being a contributor to being a leader, that, that never goes away. That's really critical. And the state that you just described, Brian, of people making their best contribution in the best place that they can as part of a high performing team, that's, uh, you know, that's that which is high energy fun. Uh, that also tends to spin out people who will grow into the folks who can lead the enterprise as it hits its next level of scale. Yeah. So yes, I think it's, I, from my perspective, I think it's absolutely critical because it also helps indemnify you to a degree against having the whole thing explode, which is in a hyper growth context. I mean, that's something that can happen to you. Yeah. Um, guys from uh, Gino Wickman with uh, Traction EOS, he says it's easier to die of indigestion than it is from starvation. So absolutely, you can you can absolutely implode on yourself. So let's let's talk through that. I mean, so you built this thing out. Were you intentionally a builder rather than a hyper growth or, you know, um, you probably had uh, uh, segments of time or because you've had some you had some explosive growth. We did. Yeah, we did. Well, and it's the story, right? It's the story of growth. It's the real story, which is not perpetual uh, up and to the right in a nice steady uh, <laughs> right. line. It's like, gee, we're plateaued. And then the next thing you know, you're you're running as hard as you can to keep up with uh, the growth that you have. Um, so the, yeah, the, the, you know, we had, as far as intent, um, the, in the nonprofit, I didn't feel that I had a funding model that, in fact, I know I didn't have a funding model that would sustain hyper growth initially. That's actually where, where John Rosso, who you've had on was very helpful in, in uh, making our financial model more robust. As you said, people have to raise part or whole of their salary. We needed, we needed work there. We needed to read. We, we, every time we hired a person, we lost money by definition, and I'd have to go out and raise it to offset what we were losing. Well, you can't really, uh, to my point earlier, no such thing as a nonprofit. You, you can't, you can grow your way to bankruptcy. Correct. So a lot of, what was sustainable for us was determined in large part by what we could do economically. And we, we fixed the engine while we were driving the car. We worked on that economic engine so that it was more sustainable. And that's where we hit our periods, you know, sort of inflection points where it took off more, where we had the, the, the dollars underneath to support it. And in, in, in the business context, it was, it was, uh, you know, we would hit, wow, we hit some crazy periods of growth. And, you know, that that had a lot to do with the same, the same things that uh, uh, all of us experience doing business or working in other enterprises. Um, so I'd say somewhat by design, uh, but I probably have been 
more of a, well, let's build this thing the right way. Let's pay attention. Let's take the opportunities that we have. Let's work the strategy that we have to the degree we can, and let's see where it takes us. Got it. Okay. Well, so let's go through this. I mean, what are, what were some of the biggest challenges, um, that you ran into that you stubbed your toe and had those hard lessons learned that we can maybe learn from glean from you and, and avoid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so many. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think the, the, um, uh, you know, the challenges along the way, places we stubbed our toes. Um, you know, I think, uh, there, there are probably times when, particularly, uh, at, I'm thinking particularly in the nonprofit at the CCO, where you know you're trying to get you're trying to get some lift to get from where you are, which which was not a bad place. I was not I was handed an organization that was fundamentally in good shape, uh, but there was also uh, a lot of stasis uh, to overcome to get moving, and. Um, so they're probably uh, being more honest sooner about uh, people either just not being in the right position or maybe just not, you know, this may not be the right place for you, period. That's a hard lesson, right? Because especially whenever you, you know, no, I, th I always say that's the hardest part of being a leader is whenever you have to put somebody back to the marketplace. Um, but it's the reality because it, now my sense, and you can tell me I'm just fooling myself to try to make myself feel better, but it seems like when you finally do ask yeah. the person to leave, the rest of the team's like, thank heavens, right? Because typically speaking, what I found is the first time you thought it, you're probably about three months behind from getting rid of that person. Now that's a, I mean, that is, um, yeah, it's a, it's the part I've, it's something I've had to do a lot of in my career, uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I'll never like it. I'll never get used to it. Um, it makes me, it, it's tensing me up right now to even think about it, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it really, what you said is absolutely true. The, the, you know, the experience of, of having to have that hard conversation with somebody to, and, and, other people implicitly or explicitly saying, what took you so long? Which is a clue as to what, you know, because this is, this is the part of the job I've universally, nobody wants to talk about, but part of your most important thing you're going to do as a leader is set the boundary. Uh, you decide what you tolerate. And, and really that's not a decision other people can make for you. Um, particularly as you're growing quickly, they can learn how to, how to see it that way. But that, that means, yeah, I mean, gee, this is, <laughs> this doesn't look like the place for you to be right now. And I think that was a golden nugget right there. Your culture is what the leader allows, right? Yep. What you, what, what you tolerate is that, yeah, you're, the culture that you have is what the leader tolerates. So if yeah. you tolerate a lack of accountability, if you tolerate a lack of commitment, if you to tolerate a lack of execution, that's your culture and it's the leader's fault. <laughs> so that's, that's a hard thing to say. Um, yeah, love it. Not a whole lot of fun. but No, uh, not at all. 
That's why they say it's lonely up top, right? Um, so what, I mean, this has just been tons of, of good stuff in here with hopefully people will find this with tactical execution in here as well. But what's your biggest uh, hack for whether it's talent or sales or scaling the business? What's, what's one tactical real world thing that you can help us with? Yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give you one that I really haven't done, but if I were, I support leaders now, that's my work. Okay. Uh, uh, so I'm not, you know, for the first time, gee, in my adult life that I could remember, uh, even going back into college, I'm not actually leading anything. Uh, I'm supporting people who do. But the, so the first one's uh, something I've always been intrigued by. And if I were thrown back into the arena of leading something, it's what I would do. Uh, I, I, the 15 minute standing meeting, uh, I mean, the, the, that's held at regular intervals you might get away with it weekly. You might need it daily. Of course, a standing meeting over zoom is really an interesting idea to contemplate. I <laughs> but I think the, the principle behind this is, you know, you, you do need, you do need a bonding and formation time with your teams. And that's, that takes time. You can't shortcut that. You have to have, and ideally put your mask on and do it face to face if you can. Uh, you, you have to uh, build some rapport. You have to get on the same page. You have to have some human connection with the people that you lead. So you can't skip that step. And that step takes as long as it takes. That's not an inherently efficient, I would argue, not an inherently efficient process to onboard a person. You could design it well, but there's a human element of trust there that has to be built, really critical. So you take as long as it takes to get a person on board, to understand the mission, to connect with their coworkers, and to be on the same page with you whatever that design looks like. But once you've got that design, then you try travel light and fast. My hack would be the, the, you know, the frequent, go for frequency and short duration in your interactions with your people once you've established what you're trying to do. It could be a, it could be a metric dashboard meeting where, okay, here's our three key metrics, how are we doing? It could be a brief check-in at the beginning of the week, but it's quick. If you need to have your one-to-ones, you can go deeper and you need to have one-to-ones. And if you're running a go-go organization, you do not want one-to-ones any less frequent than every other week. You're going to start losing your grip on your organization if you don't have regular one-to-ones at a good interval. They can be fairly efficient too, but the standing 15-minute meeting, what are we doing? And as part of that meeting and part of other things you do, my other hack I'm taking from a West Point graduate who's part of the board of directors of the CCO. And it's called after action review. Yeah. People from the military know about this. And the way we express it in our board meetings is three up, three down. Three things that were good, three things that could be better. You know, I've gotten to the two hour and 58 minute mark in a three hour board meeting and turned it over to him thinking, oh my gosh, we have not left ourselves enough time to really get feedback on the right now of this meeting, which is when you ideally want to do it, right? When right. It's 
And in two minutes, we get three up, three down in a room full of 25 people. Wow. Unbelievable. And so that whole, that three up, three down business, just building in the discipline of, okay, how do we do with that? Good, bad? Both these things I think of as hacks because they're, there's a, a lot of agility to it. And an organization that's moving fast, these, these are things that pe- keep people connected and keep, them, keep their eye on the ball. Yeah, so really what, what you said there is um, foundation of trust, built on yep. communication, quick check-ins, realistic accountability, what's to, bo- what's to be done, right? Are the to-dos getting to done? And, and what do you need, right? What are you doing? Yep. What do you need? So uh, that's great, great stuff. And, and you can read a little bit more out of that too. If you look at Vern Harnish's Scaling Up for those that are listening. Um, and actually that, that might've been the book that you were going to suggest here. So let's move to that one. Uh, resources that you would recommend, books, podcasts, guides. Um, where can we learn to be as smart as you, Dan? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure you want to go down that path. Uh, <laughs> but I, and, 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 and I'm a, you know, a lot of what I've garnered over the years, I've been uh, part of the Vistage organization. That's been tremendously helpful, just, uh, you know, getting in a room with other CEOs. Uh, this, the resources that you're tied into, uh, Traction, um, there, the, the, uh, there's a series of mod, modular series on management development, tra- development and training it looks like it's just coming out now uh, called Admired Leadership. Um, and I'm assuming that will hit the market uh, soon. And it's what it does is gives you, it gives you the ability to help give your people some blocking and tackling skills in the management. Because, I mean, that's one of the things in a growing organization. You hit exponential points of needing people to execute leadership. So how are you going to develop them, Right. right? And and, uh, and it's when I say exponential, what I mean is it doesn't happen conveniently. You go from we're fine. I don't want to build people's hopes that there's any leadership positions here in the next year. To oh my gosh, if I had six people, I could use them. Right. Uh, and so that's where something like admired leadership. It's a it's a piece that we miss. I, I'd say you asked about mistakes. I'd say not paying more attention to frontline leadership development. You, okay. you know, we throw people in the, in the uh, deep end of the pool. That's our training. That's the most neglect, single most neglected area of most growing organizations is what are you doing for your frontline leaders? Smart. Very smart. All right. So wind it down here. I know we only have a couple of minutes left here. Pull out your crystal ball. Get your negligenter or whatever they call that thing. Uh, what's the future hold for us? What do we need to be watching out for? What's going to whack us? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, we work with young people, and and I'm I'm concerned uh, now. <laughs> um, and I don't have the same kind of con- like the millennials and everybody was just hammering on the. I love the way millennials do their work. Just love it. Very fluid, but much more conscientious than they're given credit for. And of course, it's hard to generalize. I mean, there's always good, but I think that the thing, crystal ball, is you're bringing people, younger people, if you've got a hiring demographic in the 20s, we've got some folks that somewhat justifiably, somewhat not, aren't in love with authority. 
So um, it's, it's something, <laughs> uh, the, need, uh, the need for organizations that are healthy, that have transparency, that, but also the need for organizations that are willing to assert a normative understanding of what it means to be a boss and what it means to be a follower and are willing to articulate that uh, clearly, it's, it's gonna be kind of important because I, I think we're gonna have a lot of young people that have sort of been malformed I hate to say it, but around what we're seeing on campus is malformed around issues of authority. So Crystal Ball, the, our organizations, as you said, you know, our teams are what make us unique. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I wish I were giving a more optimistic report, but I think we'll find the silver lining in the clouds. We'll continue to find great people to bring into our organizations. All right, so you bring up a, a, an interesting point here. So in reality then, leading through influence rather than authority, leading through influence rather than title is probably a skill set that's more important than ever. I, I think it is. Okay. Now, having said that, of course, there's rubber meets the road moments where, I, you know, a little bit like, I suppose, parenting and other exercises where, the understanding between the leader and the follower is I may not be able to always justify or explain to you what I need you to do. I may just need you to do it. Right. And, and that'll, you know, that's, that, that moment of truth may come. Uh, but right. Leading, leading, <laughs> leading through influence is never going to go away as a, as a, uh, an opportunity to really engage people in the mission. Yeah. We're, you know, grownups, we, again, good people have options. We can decide, do I want to be here or not be here? Exactly. Well, speaking of not wanting to be here, we're, I'm using up all your time, Dan. So let's, let's end it with this. So Dan Dupee, who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should they reach out to you? Yeah, if, if, uh, the, if, if the strengths-based leadership part of the conversation today is something you feel Boy, I think I'd like to push into that a little bit. I mean, that's those are the folks that should reach out to me, either for their, their particularly for their role in leadership. Uh, you may, I may also have folks on the podcast who, um, you know, who just are curious about their own makeup, and that, that's that's also a, a group of folks that should reach out to me. The best way to do that would be uh, an email and uh, that's a the the address is cco jubilee one word cco jubilee.org uh that would be that would be uh dipper at cco jubilee.org actually d-i-double-p-e-r at cco jubilee.org yeah oh, i got it yeah never let a that's right. This is my leftover adolescent handle, <laughs> which may make people decide right now. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, so not, we, not so much. Yeah, not so much. So if you're Dipper, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, I'm Dipper. I'm Skipper. All right. So to reach out to Dan. And uh, so if you're looking to find your strengths or you want to build up your 
ability to, to lead with strength, uh, definitely reach out to Dan. He's a world of knowledge, uh, all around good guy and a, and a, a ruggedly handsome beard. So thanks so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. Hey, this is Brian Whittington signing off for this session of a talent sales and scale show. Thanks so much. Let's get after it. See ya.